How is everyone today? Good, thank you. Doing all right? Yeah. Happy. Happy? Great. Awesome. Okay, well, here we are working our way through the book of Genesis. And I am, look, I'm loving it. Maybe that's just preacher speak, I don't know. But um, I think Genesis is an awesome book. So I trust that you guys are getting a bit out of it as well. Um, so we're up to the story of Abraham today. And you'll be pleased to know we are not going to sing the song. You know the song. Yeah. We're not going to do that one. <laughs> Would you like to lead us, uh, Sam? No. Uh, I'll get another word. What song is it? Don't ask. Don't, don't ask. ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. Maybe maybe it wasn't an Anglican thing. Maybe it was. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, look, I'm going to pray, and we'll we'll get into it. Father God, we, um, we desire to be shaped by your word this afternoon. And so we just surrender our, 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 our thoughts, ourself to you. And we just ask that you, um, you speak into our lives. And may we walk away from this afternoon changed by the power of your living word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What are you clever at? You got any special skills? Come on, don't be shy. Come on, what are you clever at? Balloon sculpting. Cle oh, clever at balloon sculpting, yeah. What else? I'm making my wardrobe. Okay, uh, do you mean the stuff in the wardrobe or do you mean the wardrobe? To wear this wardrobe. Okay, radio, you, you're clever at sewing. Good on you. All right. There's a few clever musicians here. Uh, yeah, very, okay. Oh yeah, clever bargain hunting. Yeah, it's an important skill. Can I just finish my first solo exhibit? Yes, yep. So you're a very clever artist, I would say. There, have a few clever chess players here. Um, I felt really clever yesterday. Actually, I was playing. You know the game Mastermind. Have you, anyone ever played that game? Yeah, it's got like those those little um, coloured pegs. You've got to put in the holes. And the person you're playing against has made a little pattern that you can't see. You have to try and guess what the pattern is. And they'll give you hints like by saying, oh, well, you got four of the colours right, but they're in the wrong spots or something. Anyway, guess what? Like I'm playing against Annabelle and I pull out the first go, the exact right colours, all right? She's like, yeah, the right colours, wrong spot. <coughs> so I rearrange them and she's like, you got it. Like in two goes, in two goes. I just, I just did it. I'm like, I am a mastermind. <laughs> like I am clever. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't replicate it again, so it might just be a one-off cleverness. Um, um, anyone ever get, you know, um, jealous of people who are more clever than you? You think, if only I could be as clever as they are. No? Oh, is it just me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I need some therapy sometimes. Thank you. I can do it. I can't do what they can do. So we complement each other. Okay. Well, that that is very mature and growing up, and that's awesome. I yeah. I know. I get. I actually get jealous of people who can make good scones. That's my little quiet admission here. I can't. Even, I just cannot do it. But some people. 
can't they can do it. I'm, I'm a bit jealous of their clever, cleverness there. But anyway, it's look. experience. No, it's called no. cleverness. <laughs> look, we like being clever, don't we? Hey, let's face it, we like being clever. Because do you know what? We associate being clever with good life outcomes. We kind of go, you know what? Things are going to go well for me. Um, I'm going to live a blessed, contented, successful life if I'm clever. We sort of think it's the things we do that bring us success in life. Here's the thing. You will never be clever enough, capable enough, charismatic enough to achieve the meaningful, successful life you crave. You just won't be. And I'm sorry if that's a bit of a deflator for you. Cleverness, capability and charisma won't provide the contentment and the confidence you are looking for. It just won't. I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't. All right. Here's the question for us today. Does God bless flawed people? Or does God only bless clever people? Does God only call clever people to his work and purposes? We're going to look at the story of Abraham and we're going to remind ourselves, because I know we know this, but we've got to remind ourselves because so often the default is, oh, if only I was better at something. If I was more capable, I've got to live up to something. We're going to remind ourselves that God's blessing comes through calling, not cleverness. We're not clever. We are called. Um, and we're going to see today that Abraham is actually at his best when he does nothing. Like, I could say, he's actually at his best when he does nothing at all except Trust God. Abraham is commended for what? He's commended for his faith, not his deeds, not his deeds. And I think that should be something that's incredibly freeing and empowering and inspiring for us as we move on in our, in our faith journey. Um, Abraham, uh, God chooses Abraham to be the first one in a family line who's eventually going to become the nation of Israel. So the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. And it's through Abraham that God outworks his plan to remember to one day send a descendant that would crush the head of evil. This is a throwback to Genesis 3.15. Okay, One day crush the head of evil and release humanity from the curse of sin. And so God chooses Abraham. He, he calls him out. That's what it means to be chosen. He calls him out from amongst all other human beings and he makes some pretty special promises to him. He promises that he's going to make Abraham into a great nation, that one day his name would be great, that he would have many descendants and that uh, they would be given a land of their own, that God essentially was going to bless him and bless his family line. And in that blessing, all people on earth would also experience God's blessing too. Now, if you've been um, in our growth groups, you would have been reading along in Genesis. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't been reading those passages in Genesis, go home, have a read of Genesis chapter 12, 
through to 22 so that you, you get the overview of what I'm saying today. Because I'm only going to pull out a few little snippets and a few little stories today to read to you. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 12 and let's have a look at this call that he that, that God gives Abraham. And, and look, at the moment he's called Abram. I'm just going to call him Abraham the whole time. Uh, spoiler alert, he gets a name change halfway through the kind of season, all right? Um, I'm just going to call him Abraham because it's just easier. All right, so Genesis chapter 12, and let's read verses 1 to 5. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went out as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And then let's just flip over to chapter 15. This is another part of the call here. Um, Genesis 15, also 1 to 5. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. A pretty significant call, don't you think? I mean, here we have one insignificant childless nomadic farmer from ancient Mesopotamia, all right? And, and God singles him out. And he says, through you, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Whew, I mean, that's huge. I mean, like imagine if God singled you out um and, and made some hefty promises like that said i'm going to make your name great and you'll be a blessing to the whole world and imagine if he said you know anyone who blesses you i'm going to bless them and anyone who curses you i'm going to curse them imagine that imagine if he singles you out and said you know you're going to be the next billy graham you imagine it I mean, um, would you think like, why me? Would you? Would you think like, why, why, why me, Lord? Um, like, why did God choose me? Like, you'd be thinking, like, what does God see in me that he would choose me over others? I, I mean, would you be tempted to start thinking, well, if God called me, 
might be because I've got something that others don't have. I, I, I must be clever in some way or, 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 or righteous in some way or talented in some way. Hey? I mean, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm better than others. Like, that's why God chose me, not them. Like, there must be something God sees in me that made him choose me out of all the people, out of all the people. Why would God choose me? So, gosh darn it, I'd better live up to that calling. You know, for me, the story of Abraham and his calling is a really special one, actually. Uh, God actually used this, um, these verses in chapter 12 to initiate a call to pastoring for me. Um, and I'm not saying that he said, you know, you're going to you know, bless the whole world or anything, but, but he, he used those verses um, to, to call me into pastoring. And, and, and the story of Abraham speaks to me on, on many, many levels. But if I was honest, if I was honest, I would have to, I would have to say that I have had to work through this idea of um, calling versus cleverness, okay? You know, and I've had to wrestle with, with not feeling clever or capable enough for the job. But then I'm like, well, if God called me, it's for a reason. Um, so, Annette, you'd better live up to that calling. You know, you'd better prove God right in calling you. You know, you don't want God embarrassed, hey? Um, and, you know, I've had to wrestle with that idea that, that God will bless the ministry if I'm clever enough at it. Does God bless flawed people or clever people? Does God only call clever people to his work and purposes? We need to see that God's blessing comes through calling not cleverness you know it doesn't matter how great a sermon all right you know they're here one day and filed in a filing cabinet the next doesn't matter how good a listener I am doesn't matter how caring I am how organized I am how knowledgeable I am the source of my success and blessing is always God always I've had to learn how to be a vessel for God's blessing, how to steward his blessing rather than trying to be a source of that blessing myself. I've had to learn how to rely on God's provision for my life rather than working hard to get it. And I tell you what, it's easier said than done. It's easier understood than outworked. I think there are two people um, who, who, who need to hear this message. There are, there are those, those people who need to actually stop doing so much work on behalf of God um, uh, and, and to see um, blessing or success. You know, they're kind of like the religious zealous people. They actually need to tone it down a notch, those people, and stop trying to obtain God's blessing and success through their work on behalf of God. So that's that's one type of person, all right? The other type of person needs to stop doing so much work on behalf of themselves and their family um, 
to, in order to see God's blessing and success. So they're kind of like the lukewarm people, the people who are tapping into God's provision and God's blessing. They're actually tapping into their own um, worldly um, life and their own uh, personal way of doing things and, and working hard to see blessing and success. So they're kind of like the two sort of people that need to hear this message. And I don't know, maybe you're one of those or maybe you're someone else. Um, but what I want to do is I want to share a couple of stories from the life of Abraham. And we're going to see Abraham at his best and at his worst, okay? And I just want to think, can we relate? Can we relate to some of these little snippets in Abraham's story? So let's look at him at his worst first. Genesis chapter 12, back into chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 10 through to 20. So remember, he's, he's just had the call. God's just told him to go into the land, of, leave his family in his land and go into this new land of Canaan. So he's, he's just travelled there, done there, pitched the tents. All right. We pick it up at verse, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So when I took her to be my wife, now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything they he had. So can you relate to this? At the first sign of difficulty, you want to head to where life is easier rather than looking to God. Okay, the first sign of difficulty, you want to head to where life is easier rather than looking to God to provide. What we've got happening here is God tells Abram to go to the land of Canaan, doesn't he? And this is the land that God promises to give to Abram's descendants. This is the land of calling and promise. It's a special land. It's a significant land. And Abram initially goes there, doesn't he? But what's the next thing that happens in our story? What did we just read? What does Abram do? Where does he go? Egypt. He bails. There's a, there's a famine where God's just sent him. And he's out of there. He heads off to Egypt. Now, in Canaan agriculture, growing food, as you could probably guess, relies on rain, okay, like we do, relies on rain, okay. Um, and so you never really know one season to the next what's going to happen um, rainfall-wise. So it... it um, a bit like our area, okay, and it, and it makes the food source a bit unreliable. So there's famines that happen. 
However, Egypt, uh, they have more of an, an irrigation-based agriculture system back then. So the flooding of the Nile River made food supplies in Egypt quite plentiful and secure. So they had a much more secure uh, food source, you could say, than the land of Canaan, where you had to trust and rely on God's provision of, of, of rain. So no sooner had Abram followed God's instructions to leave his country and go to the land that he would show him, than we see Abram leaving that country because things are difficult, there's no food, and Abram doesn't really know if this new God of his is going to provide. And so he goes to Egypt. I mean, that's what the sensible person would do, isn't it? Go to where the food is secure. Go to where you know the, that there's plenty of food for your family. This is a new God. He doesn't know. Will this God who has spoken to me, will he really come through for me when it matters? You know, I'm not too much different from Abraham, and, and maybe you can relate too. Like when things get hard, instead of looking to God, we kind of want to just escape to where it's easier or where things feel more successful. Hey? You know, we, we want to leave the arid deserts of Canaan and go to the rich, fertile lands of Egypt. Like I tell you what, abundance and success, don't we want that? Hey, if we, we truly thought, what would you like? You know, scarcity and lack or abundance and plenty? Who's on the abundance and plenty side? Who wants that? Like, that's what I want, okay? Um, we want abundance and success and we want to be able to get it easily rather than waiting on a not physically seen God who we have to trust for provision, whose timing is often different to our timing. Would you agree? Um, sometimes we just aren't too sure if we can actually trust God to provide. So that's the first one. The first sign of difficulty, you want to head to where life is easier rather than looking to God. Here's the second one. Can you relate to this? When things go wrong, fear motivates you to act in your own interests rather than trusting God to look after you. Now, here's the problem. I don't know if you noticed this in the bit I read just then, but um, Abram's wife, she's pretty hot, okay? Like... <laughs> She must have been pretty amazing because by this time she's like 65, 70 years old and Abram's worried that she is so beautiful that Pharaoh is going to snag her for his harem. I mean, she must have been mind-blowingly beautiful. Like 65, 70-year-old woman and he's worried that like the, the Pharaoh of Egypt who has like a harem of I don't know how many beautiful women from across the land is going to go you <laughs> right um and he's worried that he's going to get killed because of his wife so what does he do what does he do he lies just like every you know sensible person would do in that situation he lies and he says she's my sister and uh what does pharaoh do marries her takes her into the into the harem there abram effectively has just given away his wife to another man. Hey, what an amazing fella. <laughs> All right. Now, think about it. God has just promised descendants, descendants to Abram. And what's he just gone and done? Given away his wife. 
what's he thinking? Hey? I mean, fear. Fear is what he's thinking, okay? He's scared. He's scared. He, 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 he does things that will protect himself and to heck with God's plans and promises because he doesn't know if this new God of his is going to come through. Even then, though, even in um, Abram's um, sin, God's good. God has a plan and he's not going to let human sin stop his plan. And so God actually makes use of Abram's sin and lie because it's actually Abram's lie that gets them deported from Egypt. And then where does Abram return to? Canaan, the land where God wanted him anyway. With wealth. Well, yeah, look, there's, there's a mixed blessing in that wealth because he also brings home what? He brings home an Egyptian slave girl and... Well, anyway, we'll get to that. That causes a little bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So a uh, question for us here today. Is there a situation in your life where you are taking steps to protect yourself, motivated by fear, rather than trusting God to provide? Is there a situation in your life? You're taking steps to protect yourself and you're motivated by fear rather than trusting that God will provide. Let's keep reading. Genesis 16, 1 to 6. Here's one of the, the pieces of wealth that he came home with, a, a slave girl. Uh, so 1 to 6, chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am now suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. So here's our third thing perhaps you can relate to. When it doesn't look like God is providing, you take matters into your own hands with problematic results. We've got here Abram forcing the timing of God's promise for descendants. God says, you will have descendants. Abram and Sarah say, but we're old and it's not happening. Better go and do what everyone else in our culture does when they can't have babies. And this is the ancient Near Eastern version of IVF. It's grab your slave girl and reproduce a family line through her. That's what they did. It was the culturally done thing. But 
God doesn't want to do it that way. He wants to do it miraculously so that it is clear who God is, so that it is clear who Abram is and that Abram's descendants are the chosen line provided for by God through whom God promised his blessing will come to all peoples on earth. And so even though they do end up with a baby through the slave girl, and they call this baby Ishmael, he is not the one that God will bless. And this causes quite a few problems for everyone, both in the immediate story, we just read that bit, it caused hostility there in their immediate household, but ongoing hostilities between um, Ishmael's descendants and between the descendants of Abram. And even today it's said that, you know, Arabian Muslims are the descendants of this Ishmael. And I, I often wonder what our world would look like if Abram had waited if he'd waited for God and not taken the cultural route of having a descendant with this Egyptian slave girl. I wonder for you, do, do you have any, any metaphorical Ishmaels in your life? Hey? Do you ever get tempted to force the promise, to force the timing of God's hand, to force his blessing before it, he, he's, his timing says that it's time for he provides for you miraculously. You know, when I try to work out God's blessings through my own schemes or plans, rather than waiting for him to provide, things don't go well for, for me or for others. You know, I get, I get tired, I get fatigued, I get worried, I get restless, I get discontent, I get angry, I get um, critical, I get disillusioned and, and I end up, like Hagar and like um, Abraham and like Sarah, I end up treating others poorly. Can you relate? What, what's the source of blessing in your life? What is it that truly causes you to be successful? Is it your hard work? Is it your job? Is it the things you do? Is it your intelligence or your skill or your abilities? Is it your self-sacrifice? Is it the fact that you serve others? How will you know that your life is blessed? Will it be because of fame or recognition from others? Will it be because of compliments? Will it be because of gratitude from others? Will it be because of money or possessions or financial security? Are you truly called by God? And trusting in him, or are you just trying to be clever? The irony with Abraham is that we see him at his best when he does nothing at all, and when he lets God do it on his behalf. You know, Abram didn't do great miracles. You compare him to the other characters in the Bible, the other kind of 
top kind of well-known characters in the Bible. Abram didn't do great miracles. He wasn't this amazing leader. He, he wasn't a, a, a prophet or a, or a teacher. You know, his claim to fame was that he's a father. He's a father and he had great faith. Trusted God and he became a dad. Easy. <laughs> hey? I mean, that's good news for us, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, because we know, we know, we're, we're never clever enough, capable enough, charismatic enough to achieve the meaningful and successful, confident life we crave. The only thing we really have going for us is that God calls us to be his people and he promises to bless us. And that is all we really need. Amen. Amen. When Abram trusts God and trusts his call, things go well. So how about we do it like that? Okay. Let's have a look at when, when uh, things go well. This is good. I love this stuff. This is great. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter 13. Let's, let's check out Genesis 13. So in Genesis 13, we see Abraham and his nephew Lot have both got lots of livestock. Okay, like they, they're, they're, they've made it. They've, they've got plenty of livestock and the land can't support both of them. All right. So let's pick it up from chapter 13, verse 8. So too many sheep, not enough land. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. A few little pointers here. Just listen to these. Egypt, Sodom. Just pay attention to those bits there. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So here's where Abram's at his best. Number one, Abram is at his best when he surrenders choice. Who chooses here in this story? They've got to split up. They've got to go their separate ways. So they've got enough land for their livestock. So who does the choosing here? Lot, Lot does. Okay. Um, Abram says to Lot, will you choose? If you go that way, I'll go this way. And if you go that way, I'll go the opposite direction. Abraham here is happy to surrender control and let God direct the outcome. He doesn't need to control the choice. He leaves it to God to sort it out. And, of course, Lot chooses the fertile lands that look a bit like Egypt, and it seems like the better choice, doesn't it? But what it's actually doing is it's actually moving Lot closer towards the land of Sodom, which is known for their sin and their wickedness, and it, and it moves Lot away from the place of God's blessing. Uh, let's read a little bit more there. Genesis 13, 14. And 17. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, 
Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So what's left for Abraham? Well, exactly what God wanted him to have. It is the land of God's blessing. It's the land of God's promise. And I tell you what, I think I would rather take the land of God's promise and blessing over the well-watered, seems-to-look-good lands that Lot chose that is only moving him further away from God. Abraham steps back and God puts him exactly where he wants him. Can you do that? Like, can you surrender choice to God? Can you surrender your plans to God? Will you let him choose for you? Or have you already mapped out the best land, the best work, the best place, the most money, the greatest, you know, schools for your kids or the best culturally valued things or whatever it is. Have you already mapped that out or are you happy to step back and let God map it out for you? You know, when we moved to Coolerman, um, we'd, we'd been planning on staying in Leeton, as I'm sure I've shared with you in the past. The funny thing was when we moved, when we were in the process of deciding to move, do you know what I was reading devotionally at the time? These passages in Genesis. And, um, and so I'm, I'm reading the story of Abraham who was called to leave all that was familiar and to go to a new land, to go to the promised land. And here we are contemplating a move away from all that was familiar and to go to a, 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 new, a new land. And so we moved here because we felt that God wanted us here in Kulaman. Made, would have made more sense for us to move to Wagga. That's where Steve's work was. But we felt that, um, you know, we, we would be a blessing to this town and that we'd be used by God in ministry in some way here. We didn't come here to plant a church, but God put a church here. Um, we didn't move here for the prestige of the town, although it's been interesting that, that since moving here, Kuhlman has just been increasing in popularity exponentially. Um, it's, it's actually hard to buy a house here at the moment. Um, we didn't move here for the great schools, although, and, and really, when we moved here, the local school didn't have that great a reputation. But since we've been here, the reputation of the school and the town has just miraculously increased and improved. Uh, we didn't move here for a better house, but God has blessed us with a better home than what we had. Can you, can you step back and surrender choice to God and let him provide? Okay. Second one, Abraham is at his best when he just says yes. Genesis 15 Genesis 15, verse 6, um, God has just, you know, doubled down in his promises to, to Abraham to, um, you know, to, to provide for him descendants and an heir. And, and in response to God's promises, this is what Abraham says. He says, um, Abraham believed the Lord 
and he credited it to him as righteousness, as righteousness. Abraham is at his best when he just says yes, when he just believes what God promises, and God counts that as righteous. No scheming here, no planning here, no giving away his wife to an Egyptian pharaoh or sleeping with his slave with her slave girl. You know, he just says, Okay, Lord, I believe you. Okay, Lord, I believe you. Question for, for us today. What promises of God do you wrestle with or do you doubt that you just need to say, Okay, Lord. I'm just going to believe you. Just keep it simple. I'm just going to believe you. After this, um, God reinforces his commitment to bless Abraham and he confirms the promise and he kind of makes it watertight with this really awesome covenant ceremony. And it gets a bit gruesome. I think if it was, um, we did a video version, it might be, Oh, it's animals. Maybe it'd only be M, not M15+. plus. I don't know. Anyway, there's a bit of blood about in this covenant ceremony, okay? And you can read it in Chapter 15. I, I, won't, um, I won't read it, but basically it kind of mimics the patterns of other ancient covenant ceremonies where there's some sort of legal contractual agreement taking place. Um, there's a sort of an agreement of some sort of relationship or promises made together. The, the best we could liken it to is a marriage ceremony, except in a marriage ceremony, you're not going to have a pathway of cut up bloody animals that you walk down the aisle. It's, it's just a nice aisle that you walk down when you're getting married. But, but in the covenant ceremony, um, you walk down this aisle and, and either side of you are these cut up animal bits. It's, it's a bit gruesome, but uh, that's just the way they did it. But basically, um, each party to the covenant would walk between these cut-up animals and really what it was symbolising or saying was, if I break this promise with you, may I be torn in two like these animals are. You know, death to me if I break the agreement of our relationship. All right? Death to me if I break the agreement of our relationship. And what I love about this this covenant stories Abraham we see him here at his best once more because he's asleep he sleeps through it um and I you know sometimes I think I'm probably maybe at my best when I'm asleep too <laughs> maybe, maybe not these days I snore a bit more these days so maybe not but but Abraham's at his best when he's asleep like like we think we we need to be fantastic at, at life but really we just need to be faith-filled and somehow Abram's still able to hear God and maybe it's some sort of trance, I don't know. But, but he's at his best when he does nothing at all except God, let God do his thing. And we see in this um, chapter 15 here, we see God, all right, in the form of we've got smoking fire pot and kind of flaming torch, all right. And, and so God, as the smoking fire pit and flaming torch, passes between these two pieces. So instead of two people passing between these pieces, it's God is actually passing between these two pieces. And really what this is saying is that the burden to fulfill this promise of blessing to Abraham and his descendants is resting entirely upon God. God is saying, death to me if one of us breaks the covenant relationship. Abraham doesn't have to make the promise. He's asleep. God says, I'm going to make the promise on your behalf. It's going to be me and me. 
death to me if you or I break the covenant relationship. Israelites do break it though, don't they? If you know the rest of the story, time and time again, they go astray from God's plans and provisions for them, just like Eve did, just like Abraham did, just like we all do. Here's where we see Jesus. Because, of course, the descendant that one day comes through Abraham's family line is Jesus. And just as God promised in that covenant ceremony, death to me. If one of us breaks this agreement, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is the one who dies because we broke the covenant relationship. Jesus is the one through whom the promised blessings of God are given to us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are Yes, in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When you say amen, you are agreeing that it is through Christ that we receive the promised blessings of God and we enter into those blessings. It's not through our moral perfection. It's not through our striving, our effort, our plans, our cleverness. God doesn't do it because of our merits. He only blesses us because of Jesus, Jesus, the answer is always Jesus. Even if I'm preaching from the Old Testament, the answer is always Jesus, okay? So he blesses us because of Jesus. I know it's getting on, it's getting that time when you need your cuppa, the heat's come on, it's getting warm, it's getting cosy. Let's just call it out again, it's Jesus, all right? Okay, it's Jesus. Um, he, call, he blesses us and he calls us to be part of his family, his people, his children, his church. You know, the church means the called out ones. Did you know that? Just a little aside, the called out ones. We are called as the church. God's blessing comes through calling, not through cleverness. Through us, the church, the world gains access to God's blessings. And like Abraham, he blesses us, the church, so that through us we would be a blessing and we become a great nation, the church. And our name becomes great because we take on Christ's name and his identity. And he promises to bless those who bless us and curse those who curse us. In us, in the church, all people on earth can find and experience the blessing of God if they too put their faith and trust in Jesus. There's one more place, and I won't just because of time cover it, but there's one more place we see a pointer to Jesus, and that's in the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. But you can have a read and have a think about where you see Jesus in that for yourself at home. Um, but, but really... Jesus is the lamb that God provides in place of you, okay? Where your sin leads to separation from God and death, God provides an alternative option, Jesus. He dies instead of me. I don't have to provide my own way out of sin. Jesus provides it for me. And so to us, you're at your best when you just trust that God will provide. So... Where does this leave us today? The question is, of course, 
Are you called or are you just clever? Are you called or are you just clever? Let's let's just let's get solid with this stuff. Like, you know, we we've got to understand that God blesses our life not because of the things we do, not because we're capable. He blesses us because we are called into his kingdom, his family through Jesus. Are you trusting yourself or are you trusting God? And I'd say just keep life simple. Keep Jesus at the centre of it all. Make, make life about the worship of him, the, the, the adoration of him. Just enjoy fellowship with him and, and the rest of it will work out okay. You know, and you can do that on your own at home. Make sure you're getting the regular time with Jesus at home. Read the word. Spend some quiet time with him most days in the week. You get that here at church, okay? Um, we, we enjoy worship and fellowship together at church. It's not just an optional religious activity. It's who we are. We are the called out ones. We are the church. And really it is through the church that you will experience God's blessings for your life. The church is the, you know, the, the, the mode or the means to really experience the blessing of God in your life. Through the church, you are going to enter into a new, uh, a, a fuller experience of intimacy with Jesus. And I really believe that. I'm not just saying that. You will enter into a fuller experience of Jesus through the church. That's how and why he designed it. So you need to be here. You connect midweek. Be connected and in community with each other during the week. Okay, read the word, enjoy God, worship him. Okay, I can't make you read the word in your own time. I can just say it's a good idea. You'll be blessed if you do. I can't say, you know, arrange a week so that you're going to be at church to fellowship. I can just say it'll be a good idea if you do. You'll find it beneficial if you do. Okay, jump on your phone, find some version Bible reading plans if you haven't, haven't got any. They're really good. I've got a couple of Bible reading plans here. It's just really simple ones. Grab one before you go if you want one, just to keep you focused on Jesus at the centre. Let's pray. Father God, we just confess that, that we need a reminder from time to time that you really are at the centre and that we can trust you and that it really is because we are called to be your people, that we experience your blessing and that there's nothing else um, involved in it than just saying yes to you, yes to your plans, yes to your son, yes to your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you so much that it's not about our capability or our cleverness, um, but that it's just about calling. And so we just want to say thank you that we have been called through Jesus Christ to be your people. And would that be something that is just a, a, a real truth and a real reality in our life and would we just press into you each and every day would we trust you to outwork the promises that you have given to outwork provision in our life and to just um, you know uh, um, guide us in our daily life and so we surrender ourselves to you Jesus um, once more we pray this in your name amen, amen. Uh, are you